You are listening to the Maranatha Teachings Podcast, a ministry of Maranatha Church. Maranatha Church is a house church in coastal Virginia with members that span over four generations. Our Bible time together is both instructional and conversational. I'm the pastor and teacher, Nicholas Larum. Welcome to the Dialogue. This is our third message in our series, Living in the Outpouring, and I've entitled this one, God's Gracious Endowment. And where we finished off last we met was on Romans 12, 6, the first part of the verse. Having gifts, and the Greek word behind that is charismata, which is a form of the word charisma. So having gifts, charismata, that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Let us use them. If you recall our last discussion, we were talking about being one body and how it is that as the temple of God, we come together and how we minister to each other. What's, how, do, how, do we, how do we bring that together? Well, this is, this is the how of it. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Now, just in that portion of the verse, what differs? Well, in particular, the gifts. What doesn't differ? The grace. Is it worth pointing out that it says having charismata that differ according to the, actually it's to the grace, which is charis. So uh-huh. having charismata that differ according to the charis. Correct. Yes. yes. That was, was that your punchline? That's No, that is okay. the line. Okay. That is, having, having gifts, charismata, yeah, that, that differ according to the charis, the grace. Okay? Given us, let us use them. So, charisma in Paul. Now, this is my recent read, and this is uh, Gordon Fee, God's Empowering Presence, the Holy Spirit in the Letters of Paul. So, Dr. Fee admits in his introduction that he really attempted to address the academy, that is, those who studied the New Testament in the universities, and to those of us who consume Scripture for belief. <laughs> yeah. Just going back to that last slide, the end of that verse, it says, by having the gifts, let us use them. It doesn't necessarily say you have to be perfect at it or use them well. Don't wait till it's fully formed. Just go ahead and use it as is. Amen. Absolutely. Let us use them which is the encouragement in in Romans 12, that we use them. I want to read this phrase out of Dr. Fee's book. And what I appreciate about scholars like Gordon Fee and and Craig Keener is that they're not only academics in New Testament, but they're practicing charismatics. So when they talk about things like prophecy and tongues and miracles, they're not speaking of it from a simply academic viewpoint. Well... Here's the balance of it. They're letting the text speak through exegesis, but they've also experienced the power of God today. So let's get technical for a second. This word charisma, you know, charismatic, charisma, the the charisma, the the charismatic gifts, and we'll get into that. It gets tossed around a lot. You'd think, boy, this has got to be a pervasive word. So I'm quoting uh, Gordon Fee out of God's Empowering Presence, and he says, the word charisma is an almost exclusively Pauline word in the New Testament, occurring 16 out of 17 instances in his letters. Indeed, it occurs more often in Paul 
than in all other known instances in Greek antiquity up to and including the Christian century. Now that just rocked me back on my heels. So he really coined the use of the word. This is a Paulism. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> that is. So that, so now, that would invest some authority in Paul's use of the word as to what the word covers, would it not? So, Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? So that's, like I said, that's from, from Gordon Fee's God's Empowering Presence, page 32 of the volume I'm reading. Well, these charisma are typically referred to as spiritual gifts. I, I was looking at my internet bookmarks. No, actually, I take that back. I was looking at my listing of passwords. I have it in a super secret place that all my family knows where it's at. And so my, my listing of, of passwords, and I noticed that I have a password for a, for a online spiritual, spiritual giftings test. When Paul went into Thessalonica, when he got the Macedonian call, and he, he goes into to Thessalonica, he didn't have a bunch of scrolls that once someone got born again, he handed them out and had them fill out some sort of life survey instrument so that the individual can figure out what particular gift God gave them. It didn't happen. That's not to say that, that how we as the body of Christ, move forward, okay, because he didn't have that, and because he sent letters to the churches, we shouldn't... Here's another argument of it. You know, this is an advance. This Bible I'm holding in English is an advancement in our faith that is a culmination of world-changing historical events, inventions, uh, centuries of scholarship and process, and then publishing houses who think it's a good business venture <laughs> to actually produce a sacred, something that people consider a sacred text and market it in a way that I can hold it and read it. Okay? So, I mean, Paul didn't use this, so does this mean I shouldn't? It means I shouldn't have a compilation of, of, of the canon? Well, I should just have letters. We should all just have letters in our back pocket? Yeah, Paul wrote the Bible uh, if he didn't even read How could he write it if he didn't even read it? Well, he read it. But he didn't, yeah, he didn't read it in this form. <laughs> he, didn't, you know, he didn't read it in this form. I think, so, I think it's valuable enough that it distracted an entire generation that when they read in the Bible and it says the word, that's what they think of instead that, of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so yeah I mean, it, it, had, it had a pretty big impact. <laughs> so I think that from, from, a, from a practical and pastoral standpoint, I think that spiritual giftings tests have value. But they should not be placed in authority. And what what my current uh, I was asked today whether I'm doing any writing recently, and I said no. The past year I've been on deep theological dig, which is more like a retrench, like mowing your field down. Maybe you had the fence up wrong. Maybe you're planting the wrong crop. Kind of an idea. And and studying, going back in and studying things that. I've had a whole life of being, of being very assured of the things I believe in and then having to examine, how did I come to that belief and where did it come from? And then taking that and stacking it against the Scripture and finding out, oh, lo and behold, this part good, this part bad. This part valid, this part invalid. Okay? So, spiritual giftings. These instruments are helpful, 
but they're not necessarily authoritative. Amen. Amen? And, and there, is a, there is an intrinsic textual problem. In other words, our, our understanding of what God is saying through His Scripture should derive from the very Scripture itself. That's called exegesis. So when we look at the words and the phrases and then the context of those words and phrases and what the message is, that's authoritative. That's where we stand. Now, because it's very helpful to have forms and ideas and then bring supporting Scripture to explain those forms and ideas, all of us have come to some understandings through a systematic amalgamation. A form or an idea has been brought to bear upon Scripture, and unfortunately in that process, even if the form and idea originally arrived from Scripture or derived from Scripture, we take that form and idea and we begin to press fit different Scriptures into the form versus letting the Scripture speak for itself. Am I communicating? Does that make sense? So it's a challenge for me to continually recenter and say, how much of what I believe is scripturally derived and how much of what I believe is traditionally derived, formulaically derived, as an example? Culturally derived. Well, you didn't give me there, but yeah, culturally <laughs> derived. Like as in, as if, for instance, if you live in America for any sense of time, uh, born here, moved here, and believe you have not been infected with individualism in some form or fashion, you didn't realize you were living in America. <laughs> you just cannot. It, it, you can't. It's just part and parcel of the nation as it is. Anyhow, so let's just talk. You know, demonology 101. I was instructed in a form of demonology, a basic understanding of the evil spirit realm, that in large part came out of Revelation chapter 12, the end of the story. And it goes, and you've heard it, and I've talked about it, it goes something like this. In heaven, there was a rebellion. And... Lucifer, well, that was his name before he became the serpent or the snake, or Satan, rebelled. And there was a war in heaven, and then Lucifer got thrown out of heaven, and he took with him one-third of the angelic host, and that one-third of the angelic host is what we know as the evil spirit realm. They are the demons we know today. Now, that is the demonology 101. I was, I was pretty much, I think I got that. It wasn't in mom's milk, but it was shortly thereafter. I'm pretty sure I got a dose of it in the Southern Baptist Church. I got large doses of it throughout. And it really wasn't until maybe 2018 that I got confronted in a, in a very logical way from the text itself, from somebody who studied the text that said, really? Actually, the, the phrase that really kicked me in the head was, that's not the Bible, that's John Milton's Paradise Lost. And guess what that made me do? I read John Milton's Paradise Lost, and I was amazed how much of my theology came from an 18th century English poem that wasn't Scripture. 
So, that brings me all the way back to spiritual gifts. My point on spiritual gifts is that adjectives matter. Adjectives matter. The most familiar, and we'll look at a list, listings of giftings, but when it comes to charismatics, and, you know, you may not recognize it, guys, but you've been in a charismatic church. You've heard tongues before. That qualifies, right? I so, say, I, if yeah. you haven't recognized it, it may not just be so, you know, so Well, you know, they grew up in it. This is the church they know, you know? So it's not like they've been anywhere else. So everything they know wrong is my fault. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to rectify some of the problem. Okay, so, you know, that's it. So when you... Young ladies, when, when you get older and, and you meet someone who has a deep right, knowledge of Scripture right and you tell them something and they go, well, the Bible says, and they happen to be right, you get to say, well, my pastor, he didn't know any better. <laughs> so, anyhow, adjectives matter. Okay? Now, let's suppose it's your birthday. It's your birthday. And, and you got you got this set of gifts. You got a roadside emergency kit, and you you got a um, your smartphone holder that hooks to a window, and you got a little vacuum cleaner and maybe a caddy. What would you call? What kind of gifts would these be? Automotive, <laughs> uh, automotive gifts. Automotive gifts. Car gifts. That explains the nature of the gifts. They're they're car gifts. I mean, I could have put up, you know, upholstery or cleaners, whatever the case may be. But those are car gifts. Now, a roadside emergency kit isn't necessarily a car kit, but when you take a first aid kit and throw in jumper cables, well, there you are. You know, that's all you, hey, that characterizes the gift, right? What if you opened your box <coughs> and what you got that was this? This, uh, you know, uh, an apron, you got little trowels and... And little little hose and, and pruners and gardening. Gardening gifts. Definitely not a barber. There wouldn't be barber gifts, right? Those are gardening gifts. I mean that tells us that so when you hear garden now when I talk about gardening gifts, where's your focus? Gardening. On on gardening. When I talk about car gifts, where's your focus? Traveling. On cars or traveling, right? What if you got this gift set? You know, stationary gifts. Writing. Writing. You know, you so so adjectives matter. When we be when we refer to continually charisma as spiritual gifts, our focus kind of goes to the spiritual, is my point. Okay? What, what do we call them? Church gifts. Instead? What do we call them? Church gifts. See, <laughs> Abel brought this out already. According to the Kadis of God, each of us having differing Kadismata, according to the Kadis of God. This is, so here's, here's part of the issue with referring to this phrase or translating this phrase, which it is in a couple instances, depending upon what English version you're looking at, translating charisma or forms of charisma as spiritual gifts. Here's the range, some of the range, of what this word covers in Paul's own letters. 
Okay? Uh, it covers the gift of eternal life. Romans 6.13. And by comparison, chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. So, and the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ. Right? Romans 6.23. Spe- the special privileges of Israel. Romans 11.29. So the special privileges of Israel were a charisma to Israel. Well, here's one. Maybe you've never thought about this as a... Imagine calling this a spiritual gift. Are you ready? Celibacy in marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. Means celibacy and, and marriage, marriage, not celibacy in marriage. No, 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 no. And, and, A and D. Did I say that wrong? Yeah. That yeah. Would be celibacy in marriage is wrong. That's just wrong. All right, good. Yeah, let me get that straight right now. So, the fact that someone could remain single, or the fact that someone could get married, is a charisma of God. Okay. Would you say, or could you say, as far as spiritual gifts are concerned, they can come from, they don't have to necessarily come from God? If it comes, if it... No, the, the issue is a little more nuanced than that. So, okay. so the issue with regard to calling them spiritual gifts is a bit more nuanced than where they come from. It's how we think about them. Deliverance from deadly peril. 2 Corinthians, 2, 10, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10. And special manifestations of the Spirit, as in 1 Corinthians 12 and other places. So that, that's quite a range for a Paulism, or what, it, what, what we understand essentially as a Paulism, this charisma and its, and its forms, okay? 17 times, 16 times used by Paul, once used by Peter. Okay? So we're going to look at the first instance of this word in Paul's corpus. So in Paul's writings, the first time that... I should, I should stop. In the writings of Paul that we have, <laughs> okay, this is going to be the first instance of this term, which happens to be, by textual witness, the third letter in a correspondence with the church in Corinth. And you're thinking, third letter? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. There's no 3 Corinthians. What are you talking about? Well, I'm not talking about 3 Corinthians. I'm talking about 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is the third letter in an interchange. And that you get from the text of the letter itself, which we're not going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about this first occurrence of charisma. Verse 4. I give thanks to my, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. There's that word, charismati. It's a form of charisma as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
as you wait for the, what's that mean, wait for the revealing? And does that mean as we wait for Jesus Christ to come back? Yes, sir. Okay. What Paul is doing at the start of this letter in thanking God, he's reminding them of where they are and what is actually still coming, and in a way, reminding them of where they're not yet. So that all of this is working to carry them to the day when Christ comes back. This is why, if you see this, for a, you know, you see this, sustaining you to the end, guiltless to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, they're so wrapped up in their gifts, they're so wrapped up in their understanding of themselves being, I think the word is pneumatikai, spirit people. We're spirit people. We speak, we speak the language of angels. We're heavenly. And Paul says, you know, when I showed up, I could just tell you simple things because you're carnal. You're fleshly. And he tells them that, look, when that which is perfect comes, this thing that he introduced them about, again, in the start of his letter, the things that are in part will be done away. Tongues, prophecy, all these kinds of things that they are elevating as the grandiose all and be all and do all. So It's pretty exciting. It is a taste of heaven. It is a taste of heaven. It is it's highly exciting. And here's the thing. Fee says that that I I I, I I'm not going to find the quote, but basically it's Paul refuses to tame the faith because of the abuse of the gifts. Rather, he encourages their proper use. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just thought that 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 phrase. You know, he, he's not going to tame the faith. It's not a tame faith. Mm-hmm. It it changes the world. It changes the natural order into a more clearer picture of what God intends when Eden is reestablished, when all is made right again. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Grace of God was given to you, how? Through Christ Jesus. That in every way you are enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Note that He's... He's talking about their speech, their utterance, and their knowledge. Okay? So that you're not lacking in any gift, charismati, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Fee writes, or I take this from Fee, basically, 1 Corinthians 1.7 is the first appearance, by date, of the term, and ties it to charis. It is, its emphasis is on the grace, not the spirit or the gifting. It's a grace it's a grace gift. And this is the reason for the illustrations. When we call them spiritual gifts, our focus is shifted to the spiritual or the gift. And the emphasis is on the grace. The grace endowment of God. That it's by grace. And I, I have been guilty of this in, in my own instruction of saints. And, I, and I've known a whole host of saints who have worked really hard, labored hard, to develop a grace. You don't earn a grace. That's a better way of saying it. Who have, you know, studied, fasted, whatever, gone to the seminars to activate a grace. And there is a continual misapprehension, misunderstanding of gifting. And you see it exhibited in all forms of ways. Well, you know, he was, 
I don't understand why he fell. He was such a gifted minister. I mean, he, he prophesied and did miracles. And then we don't know what... How could, how could he do these kinds of... Even in Jesus' day, well, we know you're from God. How could you do these miracles if you weren't from God? I can imagine Jesus laughing. You know, it's like... Miracles, miracles can be from God, but the proof, <laughs> the proof isn't in the miracles. The proof is in God. Yes, I, I really... This is a very central issue, central central subject for me. So I just want to add some embellishment, which is, I think you're absolutely right, in that grace is the central thing. And that's why I love Strong's original <clears throat> definition of the divine influence upon the heart. That's charis, the divine influence on the heart, which to me means God is able to do a work in my heart that I can't do myself. I can't change my own heart because it's I can't. No. I've never been able to. No. So God does a work. And when I'm really in a bad place, I'm like, Lord, change my heart because I can't. And He's He has it this way, I'm sure you've all experienced it, where He gives you He gives you a, a thought, a word, an experience, a conversation, and all of a sudden in a minute, my heart is changed because of a thing I heard or thought. And that that is the central thing. I have to walk in that daily grace. And the gifts, those are just bling, really. And I don't want to minimize the gift of the Holy the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But really, those are the shiny things. Those are the sparkly things. Those are the those are the works that we're given to edify the church and ourselves and one another. But really the main thing is do we walk in that daily realization that apart from him I can do nothing. God sustain me, help me, transform me because I'm nothing without you. And this that's gravy, that's nice, but I need the meat and potatoes of heart transformation. Amen. Thank you. Amen. First Corinthians fifteen, verse seven. Paul reviewing Christ's post resurrection appearances. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, or appeared also to me. King James is ringing in my head, and, and I'm, I, I made the screen black. Uh, King James is ringing in my head, and I'm trying to read the ESV. That, as one untimely born, I used to always read that as, you know, Paul saying he should have been there with the original twelve, or... Or he, had he been born earlier, he would have been there. The word, it means miscarriage. The word means stillborn. Or the first century version of abortion. And last of all, he's seen, like, seen of me like an aborted child. That's the language. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Okay? So... I know sin, in one sense, sin's not on a scale, but in another sense, sin is on a scale. Consequences matter. <laughs> God takes seriously when you hurt His people. He's a God of justice and a God of covenant. And those who hurt His people, hurt His temple, He will make pay because He's just and He's faithful. Amen. So we've all had bad days where we've fallen to our sin and our flesh the last time you strapped a Christian down and tortured him so he'd deny Christ? No. It's the last time you killed somebody because they believed Jesus of Nazareth was a Messiah. Paul thought he was doing God a favor when he did these things. Yeah, he thought he was, he thought he was following God. Paul has a clear view 
of where he's come from and who he is. Now watch verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I didn't go out there and try to earn my way and prove to God that he made the right choice by giving me a chance or, or meeting me on the road to Damascus and making sure that I stopped my foolishness. I, I, you know, so in my, own, in my own sensibility and in my own education and in my own strength, I went out there and I said, you know what, all these apostles, they haven't done enough. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. I'm going to go all the way to Spain. And I'm going to take the gospel over the world because, because God showed grace to me and I'm going to do it. Well, no. No, 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 no. God showed grace to me and because of that grace he gave me, I worked in that grace and then did all those things and then moved on to the Gentiles and then pursued as far as he could to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the grace. And it seems like a slim nuance, but we have to continually understand and differentiate the submitting of our talents and our possibilities and capabilities and energy, the submitting of that to God's gracious empowerment. Colossians 1.28 Him we proclaim, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Paul's focus, Paul's theology, Paul's understanding of Yahweh, the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, forever changed and altered and centered and shifted from Torah to Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, died, buried, resurrected, and ascended. Messiah became the center mark of what it meant to be righteous with God. The understanding that the knowledge he had gained new understanding through a transformative experience with Jesus. Yes. An ongoing experience with him as he... Ongoing. And that ongoing, the agency of Jesus' ongoing transformational revelation to our life to make us the people of God in the image of God is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's presence in you is what marks you as another class of human being. There are human beings who are not regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, and there are human beings that are. Praise God. The challenge of the saint is to behave as one who has been, not as one who hasn't. And that's our challenge. That was the Corinthian challenge. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Did you have to get out of your own way tonight, Abel, to minister in music? I had nothing when I showed up. I'm like, (laughs) there was was nothing. And, you know, in those times, you have a choice. 
you can either like, well, I'm gonna fake it till I make it, or I'm just gonna like, you know, if you wanna do something, then it's all here because I've got nothing to get in your way because I don't have anything. I had two songs, not even three songs tonight. Hey, but it's just you and me, Lord, right? Mostly him, because yeah, like, yeah, but that's, that's what I mean. It's just you and me. I don't have anything, so it's just you and me. But I see that as that as a form of excellency because this is great because because my hope and my desire is to serve you all. And how can I do that if I'm in the way? So I'm always like, Lord, what do you want for them? What do you have for them? And I think that's why so many times he, like last week, he lines up on the word and stuff so he can give you a witness of his faithfulness through that because God is I good. know I'm... God is good. He's a co-laborer with us. Without him, we wouldn't do anything. Left to myself, I'm a terrible person. I'm not a, not a server. Oh, you just true. aren't adequate. Oh. You like the <laughs> no, I'm beyond <laughs> no, inadequate. Trust no, me. You, you hadn't met me when I'm a jerk. Uh, yeah, or maybe yeah, you yeah, have. Exactly. You know? <laughs> you wouldn't have liked me. That guy comes out of the casket every now and again. I'm like, well, how'd you show up? I thought you were dead. Hmm. Yeah. It's like struggling I with did, all... I, it's all I did die. Yeah, yeah. Struggling <laughs> with all know. his energy. <laughs> struggling with all his energy. A recognition that the strength to do the things that God would have us do ultimately comes from Him. I'm not burning myself out. I'm plugging myself in. Okay? It comes back to trust, doesn't it? Amen. It comes back to trust all the time. This again is, is, is from Fee. He says, Cadiz issues in charisma. And that is what it means in every instance in Paul. A concrete expression of grace, thus a gracious bestowment. See, grace, grace is an abstract noun. You know, you can't go down to the grocery store and buy 10 pounds of grace. You can buy 10 pounds of flour because flour is concrete, particularly if you put water in it and leave it out overnight. That didn't work well. Okay, cement is concrete. Never mind. You get the point. What about is that grace? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but grace concretized. Grace made tangible is charisma. A gracious endowment that is exhibited for the edification of the body of Christ. That's his purpose. That's his point. Within the church, it, it's also a bit more expansive because God is gracious and how he bestows grace is a bit expansive as well. But that's a whole other story. That's the definition. A concrete expression of grace, thus it's a gracious endowment. Now, now we move into New Testament gifts lists. Or as uh, D.A. Carson called it, and I, take, I took this table basically from him and Scripture, but... This is showing the Spirit, a theological exposition of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 from D.A. Carson, a book that when Craig S. Keener wrote The Gift and Giver, he called this the best gift on the best book on the gifts that he had read. I, 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 I call that pretty high, um, pretty high endorsement. Okay. So I want to share with you this list from Paul primarily of what are typically referred to as spiritual gifts. And we've had that whole conversation about spiritual gifts. 
It's not that they're not powered by the Spirit. It's not that, that the Spirit isn't part of the agency through which these gifts come. It's that the focus is on the gracious giving of that endowment. They are grace gifts. Okay? So, here's the lists. You have 1 Corinthians uh, 12, verses 8 through 9, and these are generally referred to as manifestation gifts or spiritual gifts. When people talk about spiritual gifts in Pentecostal charismatic circles, this is our go-to list. Utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge. You've heard it more often as word of knowledge or word of wisdom. Faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. These, by the way, are set in this table in the order in which they, they, they fall out. They're listed in Scripture. Paul lists them. Later on in the same chapter, Paul lists apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healings, help administrating kinds of tongues. In Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, he lists prophecy, service teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, acts of mercy. In Ephesians 4.11, he lists apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And Peter, in his use of charisma, lists speaking and serving. Now we start seeing some of the problem with our characterization of spiritual gifts. If I lay hands on a deaf person and they hear, why, we, we don't have a problem ascribing spiritual to that. Something spiritual, miraculous happened, right? Raise a dead person to life. Something spiritual has happened. And yet, acts of mercy are a gracious endowment from God. Serving, gracious endowment from God. Helping, gracious endowment from God. Administering, gracious endowment from God. So they're all spiritual. They're all gracious gifts. But what's really most important about this listing and how it's placed is that it tells you that these listings aren't comprehensive. They're not comprehensive. They're not exhaustive. They're not systematic. They are ad hoc. Yeah, there's a sense in which, for example, you could take the speaking and serving from Peter and take 80% of the rest of those lists and divide them into those two columns. Because we're predisposed to make order out of things. Right. So if that didn't get caught on the recording, and for those of you listening on the podcast, what Alan had said is you could take speaking and serving as two large categories and subdivide these different giftings underneath them. And guess what? If you take a spiritual giftings instrument, you'll have a combination of these things all under the heading of spiritual giftings to find where we can place you in a, in a large church body. You know, 100 plus people. What I'm saying is we're predisposed to make categories to make sense out of things. And so I have, this is how I've learned these gifts, this is how I've taught these, I've taught you these gifts this way. Manifestation gifts out of 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9. Gifts that anybody who's born again should be able to exhibit through the Holy Spirit of God abiding in them. Ministry type gifts out of 1 Corinthians 12, 28. That, that, in, that involve, that's moving forward. So those, those listings are, are ministries within the church. So maybe when we get to gifts of healings and kinds of tongues, you know, we're talking about someone who speaks in tongues in a, in a uh, ministerial level 
say at the level of someone who's a teacher or a prophet, prophesies at a ministerial level. And then we get to Romans 12, 6 through 8, which I've taught and been taught as motivational gifts, a particular aspect of the character of Christ that you in particular got. And then when we all get together, we fully exhibit the character of Christ. And so these, mo- these are motivational gifts. So if your motivational gift is prophecy, you tend to see things as black and white and behave in a particular way. Well, all of a sudden, I just moved from a charisma to a personality trait. All of a sudden, I slid from a gracious gift of God endowed by the Holy Spirit of God because Jesus hung on the cross, bled to death, went to the grave, got resurrected, to some form of the DISC program, right? Ephesians 4.11, when I was a kid Christian, we called these ascension gifts because the cult I belonged to really believed in specificity of terms. So Christ ascended and gave these gifts. These were ascended gifts. This is generally referred to as the five-fold ministry, yeah. except that people argue over whether shepherds and teachers are separate categories of the same one, shepherd-teacher, because if you're a cessationist, it's okay to have evangelists, shepherd-teachers. God forbid you have somebody who's an apostle or a prophet, and we know we got a problem. You're false. How do I know you're false? You're not Paul, and he's one of the original 12. Well, systemically, That was a joke for you on yeah. audio. Yeah. Systemically in the West, we have... Pastor teachers, and so we that whole idea of apostle prophet leading the church. Oh, they're just a bunch of radicals. Right. We, how about the how about the idea that that the senior pastor of a mega church is apostolic, but just by fault of position rather than gifting. Right. So we've changed we've changed apostle to mean CEO of a large exactly, faith organization, exactly. yep. versus apostle being a persecuted dead person in prison for taking the gospel by a special commission of Jesus Christ. To a place who's never heard of Jesus. I heard of one man I knew to be an apostle, and he was the father of a man I knew from Nigeria who came here and was a worshiper, and he told me about his dad. And what his dad did in Nigeria was his dad would take a few men and go into the bush and gather the local tribesmen, give them the gospel, train them, raise them up, and establish a church. That guy in the bush of Nigeria was more an apostle that's than apostolic, that's apostolic, that's yeah. apostolic. That's history. apostolic ministry. That's real apostolic Ooh, ministry. Yeah. An apostle has to be given. That's yeah. not, not a man, a gift given by, a name given by other men. It's given by God. It's given by God. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, in the, in the grand circuit of the wide envelope of televangelist, TV ministries, Apostleship gets tossed around depending upon how many followers you have yeah, and how much money you're yeah, making. It's, yeah, it's based on headcount rather than actual gifting. Yeah. The real message in this listing is the fact that it's amalgamated. It's just thrown together. It's just put together for the purpose of explanation at that point in time. That's what it is. Well, what strikes me about this list is not everything on there is exclusive to Christians because non-Christians can teach and be administrative and... So, I can comment on that. I, well, I love I this. I was going to say, what... What differentiates the Christian teaching right. from a, a skilled teacher? isn't the person who teaches is not a Christian? Isn't, aren't they still given a grace gift in that sense? I mean... So in a broad <laughs> sense, here's a question on the nature of God. Is God... Is God only gracious to Christians, or is God gracious so. as a character? I think it's... it's or just, grace. He's gracious to all, but... Yeah. Listen, no, but it's a good. It's a good yeah, question. No, I I approach this by saying, we are all created in the image of God. That sevenfold Romans twelve to me that is Jesus was the perfect man because he was all of that and he had all those motivational giftings. 
in balance. He knew when to be what kind. We're all made in the image of God. We all have motivational giftings, whether we are being redeemed and sanctified or not. Everybody, ha we're made in the image of God. And so here's the thing. I, I Explaining the gifts in that way I found useful mm -hmm. and practical, but the problem is you don't find the word motivational inside of Romans that's 12 true. at all. That's true. It's yeah. superimposed from the outside. That's right. So... The terminology motivational gift, I learned that through Bill Gothard's ministry in the, in the Institute of Basic Life Principles. Mm -hmm. At the time that I learned it, I thought it had huge explanatory power, made a lot of sense. It was very convincing. Okay, that's all well and good, but it's not textual. It doesn't come from the text itself. Mm -hmm. It comes from someone's experience and someone's explanation, whether he, where he learned it, how he learned it. And, and so it had what I believe to be great explanatory power, but it's not textual. And the problem with it not being textual, when I take something that's... Look, it could be a good practical system to help instruct, but when I start making it authoritative, you can't build your life on it. And so now i got a bunch of people who just see things black and white, and all of a sudden they think they're a prophet. Yeah. Or someone who yeah. wants to over-explain things, and, and maybe they think they're a teacher. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. You know, there are some, some very, very brilliant teachers, me not one of them, who know how to not over-explain things. Let me explain that to you. There are some guys who can do that. You know, there's some people who could do things simply. I don't have enough talent to write a short story. I'm not that good of a writer. So my point in, in explaining all this is, is that if, and, and I had, I'm, I'm having to do this for myself personally and, and also for the church, because as I'm being confronted, I'm thinking, well, there's some things we've got to rectify here. If I can pull myself out of highly formulaic thought processes with regard to the Spirit of God and His intention of being among us and how it is that He expresses Himself among us. If I could pull myself out of man's structures, man-taught patterns that aren't textually derived, and get into how the text expresses these gracious endowments and how they're used, then one would hope you could better form a foundation for people to live their Christian life. Does that make sense? So my first lesson in this was, when I first heard that this list, I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, 8-9 has been like the, this is the epitome of what it means to walk as a Spirit-filled Christian. This was the founding, this is the formulation of my Pentecostal charismatic life. And when I, I read a respected teacher who said, well, the list is ad hoc. He just grabbed what was at hand, basically, and, and put it together. It's not... So there could be a hundred more things that we don't have written. Exactly. And, and I thought, well, that seems kind of odd, but then now the more I look at it, I'm like, well, okay. Textually, that makes sense. And this proves it. In all these listings, prophets is second in 1228. Prophecy is is 6th and, and 12 8. Prophecy is 1st and 12 6. Prophets are 2nd. That, that list is 7 long. That's perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. So they're not in the same order. They're not in the same place. I'll show you another problem here in a minute. But 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. 
and intrinsic, presupposed in being empowered, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in, in that context of, of 1 Corinthians 12. So already, and I lead into a list, he's already told you it's not exhaustive or exclusive. There's just a whole bunch of them. Here's an example of some of them. Here's an example of some of them. Well, here's an example of how I was taught some of them. Here's an example of how I've taught some of them. These are the manifestation. This is the manifestation of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. And I was taught it in a systematic grouping. And the person who taught it to me probably learned it or took it from somebody else who taught it in a systematic fashion. I've seen this systematic grouping of these nine gifts in this way from various venues. So it wasn't idiosyncratic. It wasn't just from you know, the little cul-de-sac of Christianity I first learned it from. This is kind of part and parcel of charismatic slash Pentecostal understanding of the gifts of the Spirit out of 1 Corinthians 12. You have utterance gifts. Speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. So there's this group of gifts, the utterance gifts. Speaking in tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. The revelatory gifts. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. And then the power gifts, or the you know, these, these big bang gifts, faith, miracles, and, and gifts of healings. And the reason faith is put there is because obviously you need supernatural faith to do supernatural things in the natural world, like miracles and, and healings. And so, there you go. And, and it had, it made sense. It, I mean, utterance gift, I'm speaking in tongues, I'm interpreting a tongue, I'm prophesying. I was taught that word of knowledge were facts that I could not know through my five senses. And that word of wisdom was supernatural understanding of what to do with those facts that I could not know by my five senses. It was all revelatory. And by the very definition of what I was given of what these were, made the category sensible. Except the category was giving definition to the words, not the text. Discerning the spirits is the big one. Discerning the spirits, I was taught was the supernatural endowment of being able to differentiate between angelic presence and demonic presence, born-again people versus not born-again people, of actually discerning different spirits. You know, like, oh, that person has a spirit. I have discernment. He has a spirit of lying. I have the gift of discerning of spirits. That's what I was taught. Is that what the text teaches discerning of spirits is? What is discerning of spirits? The problem with the listing is I was taught it in a systematic fashion, is that it doesn't stack up to the text. Here's the text. Utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge and faith, gifts of healing, workings of miracle, prophecy, distinguishing the spirits lands between prophecy and kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. They're not grouped that way. They're not referred to that way. And the reason why they're even listed isn't necessarily the, the reason why I was taught they are. And... Furthermore, I was taught these things as a concrete thing. The tongues gift, the healing gift, the prophecy gift, which leads to a misunderstanding of those who don't believe in the gifts of thinking of an always-on magical kind of reality. Well, if you believe in healing, why don't you just go in the hospital and clean it out? So there's a problem with seeing these things this way, which is why I think it's beneficial for us to go into the text and to look at what the text says these things are to get a greater understanding of God. How it is that God works graciously in our midst 
to the building up of his body and to the testimony of his gospel that Jesus came, that he died for our sins, buried, resurrected, ascended at the right hand of God. So in finishing off this this section, and the reason why we're going to, I believe we're going to go into, you know, Lord willing, that we, that we go into the list of 1 Corinthians 12 is because when we talk about spiritual giftings, it's talked about most. And the reason why Paul goes into it a lot is because, well, the Corinthians were having some issues with it. They were just having some issues. So, Lord willing, we, we, we go into each of these in some form or fashion to get a textual understanding of what these endowments could be or are based upon what Paul defines them as, not what my Pentecostal or charismatic spiritual gifts instruments said they were. So, so I, I tend to think in workflow. Mm-hmm. I really liked your table. Uh, and what occurs to me is, okay, these are the charismata, mm-hmm. right? Which is, Some of. Which are all sort of outputs of charis, mm-hmm. the graves. And as I was listening to what you were saying, I was thinking, gosh, you know... I go all the way back to Jesus says, this command I give you, love one another. <laughs> love one another. And to me, what the grace is, Paul is, he's so good at, at extrapolating Jesus. So how do we love one If I said to you, love one another, you'd be like, yeah, okay, so what <laughs> What? What does that mean? What's, what am I supposed to do? What's my action to? point? <laughs> how am I going to do that? You love others through by grace. God empowers you to love one because... You can't love others by yourself. And I say, that's true. And then what? So to my point is, this is all an expansion of the whole concept. Well, this is put into wheels. How do I love one another? Through these things. Yes, they're, and, 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 you know, even acts of service. I, I have, I have complimented Heidi to others um, frequently because I said, she, she does this every week for years. She runs the kitchen. She makes sure everybody gets fed. That is a gift. That is, a, that is as much a spiritual gift as speaking in tongues. And Amen. I point that out to people. And, and, but this just, to me, gives wheels to what, what is love one another. If I was going to sit down with a classroom and say, class, today we're going to talk about loving one another. And there'd be a few. The first ones would stand up and give each other hugs because they're mercies and they love that <laughs> stuff, you know. But what about the rest of us who aren't so good at hugs? It gives me away. Mm-hmm. After testifying to out-of-body experiences and marvelous revelations and the difficulties of his suffering and his prayer to the Lord time and again to perhaps remove this obstacle... Paul writes to the Corinthian church, My grace, this is the Lord's reply to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And seeing God's sustaining grace to carry us to the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ and have us stand there blameless is the point of unpacking a lot of this. Amen? Amen.